The Inspiring Life of a Director. This is our 100th episode. When I set up the Better Boards podcast series, I had the intention to contribute to creating better boards by sharing insights, experiences, good practices, and inspire. The series is now a top 10 governance podcast and has a loyal group of listeners around the globe. A sincere thank you to all contributors and listeners. I hope that this 100th episode and the story of Paul and his insights will inspire you to be courageous, stand up for what you believe in, and make your dreams come true. I'm delighted to talk with Paul Alpin. Paul had a successful 25-year-long career as a partner at PwC. He then ventured into the unknowns and became a successful entrepreneur before being asked to join boards as a non-executive director. Welcome to the Better Bots podcast series. I'm Dr. Sabine Demkowski, founder and managing partner of Better Boards. We make the boards of the most ambitious organizations more effective. Our mission at Better Boards is to contribute to creating better boards. We do this by providing clients with an evidence-based approach for board evaluations and board development programs. Our clients have access to an innovative digital platform that they can use for the internal and or as part of their external evaluation. To fulfill our mission, we give a voice to all who care about creating better boards. Paul, thank you so much for contributing to the Better Boards podcast series. Hi, Sabine. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a very special one for us. It's the 100th episode. And uh, your life, your story really inspired me. And I hope that our listeners find the same. So most executives and partners in a professional service firm dream, actually, of the life you lead. In the preparation of this podcast, we had a chat and I really couldn't stop thinking about it. Can you share with our listeners a bit more about your life, the different stages of your career and the conscious choices you made with your wife? Sure. Let's see if I can uh, do so while <laughs> helping to inspire. Um, you know, I guess uh, having grown up in Ireland and entered the workforce in the early 80s, uh, where there was a global recession and oil crisis, one had to dream of the possibilities of working overseas. So as a young dreamer, I guess I never imagined that I would spend 25 years inside one firm, PwC, fortunate enough to be made a partner, fortunate to have had the opportunity to work all around Europe and to be based in uh, initially Dublin office, then London office and uh, Johannesburg office. Then the, the second phase of my career after those 25 years was eight years as an entrepreneur in healthcare insurance services based in Mauritius. And uh, that was followed by the last 11 years as a portfolio non-executive director also based out of Mauritius. So that's a quick summary. It's a very quick summary. <laughs> I mean, most people who served 25 years at PwC, they might start a portfolio career, they might venture out and do something entrepreneurial or invest. Tell us a little bit more about what made you to jump into entrepreneurship, because someone who spent such a long time in a corporate environment is not necessarily successful as an entrepreneur. 
And then it's also about the location. I mean, how did you get from London to Mauritius? I mean, yes, people might book a flight and go on holiday, but few would choose to set up a life. Yeah, I think even for me, it's an interesting story to look back on and um, to give a bit more insight. When I agreed to go on an overseas secondment to PwC in Johannesburg in the mid-90s, that was at a time when Nelson Mandela was president and investment was flooding into South Africa. And these were very important years. We spent almost four years there as a family, my wife and one child, and we had another child. Uh, our daughter was born in Johannesburg. And they were important because they gave us an insight into the entrepreneurial mindset of many South Africans. And that combined with the confidence that working outside one's comfort zone was truly the start of many dreams for us. So they were quite formative years. And when I look back at those years outside of our comfort zone, it built a lot of self-confidence that we could take a little more risk than we were taking. And deep down in me, and I think people who worked with me in PwC would probably agree, there was an entrepreneur always trying to get out. I was always fascinated by business success and failure. I was fortunate to be involved in Ireland's largest corporate turnaround, which happened before I became a partner in the mid-80s. And, you know, as a result of all the experiences I'd been through, by the time I got to the end of the 90s, I wanted to test myself to see if I could have a viable business life outside of a big four firm. That's probably quite unusual, but I think it has to come from within the person. And I was very fortunate that my wife, who's also a PwC-trained chartered accountant, believed that we could do this, and uh, she was up for the challenge. So that's um, maybe a little insight into the ingredients that went with the risk-taking. So then you had the business, and it was a great success, and you sold that business. Now, at that stage, you were independent, financially independent. What motivated you to serve as director on boards? Yeah, so we spent eight years making the, working hard, making the business work and bringing it to the point where we were approached to sell it and we had a successful exit. Now, in terms of other things you do after you sell your company, I suppose the inclination might be to take a step back and uh, it was a natural thing to do to step back and see what other things might come up. But it was also for me a next natural step to work with other entrepreneur-led businesses. I could relate to entrepreneurs. And while bringing my earlier experiences of large-scale strategy, M&A, corporate turnaround, operational effectiveness, and of course, audit and risk analysis into the boardroom, I, I got an opportunity. I was approached and asked, would I like to join two boards, and then it kind of grew from there, word of mouth, no pressure. It happened organically, and I guess combined with a work ethic which I brought from my PwC days and also my hard-working days as an entrepreneur, that was a combination of characteristics, let's say, that were appreciated when I joined other people's boards. I began to like it a lot, And uh, as I said, I was always fascinated by the sources of success and failure. And uh, I think 
the chemistry in the boardroom just uh, worked well. So I, I said, OK, this is something that I think I'm enjoying and I continue to do to this day. Now, let's zoom in on some aspects that makes this maybe different. So you're very generally independent. What impact does this independence has on the way you act and surf on boards? And, you know, I know of many other people where from the outside you could say he's independent, she's independent, but they don't really act independently. Can you maybe shed some light on this, how you deal with this? Sure. I think credit must go to the people I worked with and for at PwC from the point of view of uh, training in independent mindedness. It's one thing to be independent and to say one is independent and not to be an employee type person, but independent mindedness in the boardroom requires a state of mind and a state of preparation and an approach to the work in teams in the boardroom where one is on the one hand independent and on the other hand operating as an independent with other independents who are trying to solve problems together. And that type of teamwork requires a mindset that allows one to say, first of all, I'm striving to show that I'm independently assessing something. And secondly, I'm striving to work with the other independents and the chair and the executives to bring about a, an approval or a decision or a discussion or even a reasoned rejection of a proposal that is being made to the board. And that, I believe, that mindset combined with work ethic and wanting to work through the details until the best decision can be made is the one that's most appreciated by you know, hard-working entrepreneurs, hard-working management teams who put a lot of work into presentations for their boards. And it's that type of uh, mindset that gives rise to very good structured discussions and uh, usually high-quality decisions with a great amount of clarity as to where one is coming from. I would also add that in the end of the day, financial independence also counts for a lot because within your own self, if you feel that you're financially independent, you're not dependent upon a directorship or not influenced by what other people, people's reaction might be to what your challenge is, what you're saying, what your decision is, then I think you can contribute with confidence as an independent in a board and uh, have a successful, lengthy board life. Uh, so in my major directorships, uh, now I've reached um, nine years on three of my six boards, and that is an indication. It's a bit like working at a relationship. It's an indication of the hard work that has gone into working with different mindsets uh, to make relationships endure, to make them valuable, and to help companies be successful. So a truly independent mindset combined with other factors and a lot of experience can help companies to be successful. Yeah, that's been my experience. Let's shed some light on another aspect, which is really interesting. You serve on boards in India, East Africa and Mauritius. By doing so, you're in quite a different position than many of our listeners in Europe, America and Australia. I mean, if I may say so, 
you're white middle-aged men and you are always in a minority on your boards. Your board colleagues all come from different cultures, have different backgrounds, enjoy different educations, etc. So it's almost the reverse than what we are discussing very often in Europe. How do you handle this? <laughs> um, it's one of the, what I would call, the lucky factors that contributed the enjoyment of what I do. We have a lot of uh, natural cultural diversity in business life in Mauritius with people of Indian, European, African and Chinese origin. And in addition, my own boards bring me into contact with director colleagues who are located in and originate from India, China and Africa. And we largely just get on with it, mainly focusing together on the issues that we jointly face in the boards, looking for solutions overcoming obstacles together and the diversity really helps in terms of the perspectives that are being shared and the quality of the decisions that come out. So many of my board colleagues have been to top universities in Europe and the US so you overlay their cultural backgrounds on top of their top intellects that have been finely tuned with degrees and courses at the top universities. So I would say it's one of the bonuses that comes from what I do. So is it a factor that they're very different to you? I mean, how do you bridge sometimes the differences? How do you integrate? I think the commonalities are greater than the differences. The motivations are similar in terms of trying to get to the right decision in a transparent and structured way, trying to explain it to markets, to providers of debt and equity, trying to do the best for the companies And uh, we all come from backgrounds that give us analytical skills to solve problems in different ways. And we come together, combine our experiences, make decisions. I personally haven't found that the differences have created deep differences in approach or deep differences in analysis. What I've actually enjoyed is the fact that I'm surrounded by people of top talent from a multiplicity of backgrounds and that we all just get on with it. So, you know, in other organizations, in other countries where this type of thing needs to be forced, it may perhaps be another different issue. But as I say, in Mauritius, we are used to dealing in a multicultural environment and we benefit from that. I mean, I, I'm uh, savoring on your words here. I think that's a, an excellent way to think about it because integration of someone who is different or in the minority is quite a big issue here in Europe. And what you described, I urge uh, listeners in Europe to go backwards and forwards on this passage of this episode. I mean, what are for you the characteristics of a truly effective director? Well, I, I guess I'll share with you what comes to mind, uh, Sabine. And yeah, please. It all depends very much on context, of course. But I think most people would generally agree that a director who is emotionally measured and who can see goodness in people is a good person to be around. And in addition, people who are mindful of their own blind spots and unconscious biases and also who look around the board table for their colleagues, blind spots and unconscious biases, usually contribute 
to a balanced discussion and ask questions in a way that allow others to elevate themselves out of their own perhaps partisan way of looking at it, if that is the case. Another factor that I found from experience is important is understanding that different ways of framing choices or proposals that are put to a board can have an impact on the decision. So, for example, if uh, a proposal is made that if we do X, we will be well placed to gain Y dollars, and if we don't, we stand to lose 10 times Y dollars, is one way of framing. And in the preparation, particularly in looking at proposals for mergers, acquisitions, divestments, etc., a non-executive who has the maturity and self-confidence to look at other ways of framing options so that the best option is selected rather than the option that has been framed in the best way can actually save a lot of time and money and uh, misallocation of capital. Aside from that, someone who knows how to recognise red flags like you know, dominant behaviour in the boardroom or people not listening to others, plus uh, someone who draws boundaries and sets standards as a means of strengthening corporate governance, they're, they're the top characteristics that come to mind when I think of a good director. Fantastic. So what top tip would you like to give directors who have chosen a more conventional path? What, in your view, should they do more of? Okay, so I would say that um, most people I've met in the boardroom haven't gotten there by following a conventional path. Everyone has, they might look like they are conventional in the way they've moved through their careers, but everyone has an individual story to tell. And in fact, I've just a few months ago completed the International Directors Program at INSEAD, where I was surrounded by top quality directors from about 20 nations and um, it was truly stimulating. I couldn't find one person who I would describe as being conventional. <laughs> However, I would say that engaging in continuous learning about threats and disruptors and embracing opportunities to engage with others who have unconventional backgrounds They and you will inspire each other and they will help with your mental agility in the boardroom. I wish we could go on, but sadly, uh, Paul, we have to come to an end. What are the three things our listeners should take away from this podcast? In looking back and in looking forward at what I do next in my directorship career, I would say I would share life is not a dress rehearsal. Focus on happiness in your life and this will help you in your directorships. Second thing, a strong work ethic while remaining focused on the strategy and the long term will earn the respect of colleagues in the boardroom. And finally, always ensure that you have a financial cushion to be truly independent in your board directorships. Paul, thank you so, so much for contributing to the 100th episode of the Better Bots podcast series. Thank you for such an inspiration. Thank you, Sabine. It's an honor and a privilege. Thank you for inviting me. How can we help you and your board? We at Better Boards are always delighted to hear from you. Feel free to reach out if you want to hear more about our work, if you want to see a demo of our platform, if you have an idea for the next podcast. You can best reach us at info at better-boards.com. Thank you for listening.